Jonathan Lundgren. Today's guest is an award-winning scientist recognized by President Obama, who left conventional science to become a farmer, demonstrating the potential for regenerative agriculture to heal the planet. He'll also share insights about his superpower and ability to get things done. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. I, I, I'm such a fan of uh, regenerative agriculture. I just can't wait to learn more from you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, thank you. Thank you. Now, one of the things that fascinates me about your story is that you didn't grow up a farmer, but you now operate a farm. Uh, tell yeah. us about how that came about. Yeah, no, I uh, worked in a lot of zoos, and it's funny how much uh, all of that zoo work back in my teenage years stuck around in this old brain of mine, because I ended up having to call on all those earlier experiences. Um, so I'm a scientist by training. I'm an entomologist. I studied insects for a long time, still do. And uh, it became really clear that farmers were really changing the way that we think about our food system. And, uh, and there's an there's a evolutionary shift in our food system towards what's being called regenerative ag. And that necessitates changing not just farming, but many other segments of society that rely on our food system, which is just about everything, right? Science is one of those things. And so about six years ago, I quit my job. I was an award-winning scientist with the USDA Ag Research Service. And I just decided, you know what? If we're going to use science to help fuel this movement, we've got to rethink how science is done. And number one, scientists have to be farmers. I mean, if you're trying to give advice on how to, be a, how to run your, a person's farm, then dang it, you had better have walked a mile in their shoes. And so that's what I did. We started our own regenerative farm while starting a grassroots science uh, uh, company. Fantastic. Well, give us some specifics about your farm. How big is it? What are you raising? Uh, how many people help you do it? Those kinds of things. Yeah, it's small, right? I mean, relative to many other segments of the farming community, it's 53 acres. And half of that is unbroken prairie and wetlands. And if you've ever, if you've never been to the prairie before, oh my God, what an amazing place and what a treasure that is. Uh, so we use it. Um, what do we produce on the farm? You know, the number one product of our farm is a balance of life. That is ultimately has to be the number one product of a farm. Yeah. How you make money off of that balance of life, that's all gravy, right? But it's yeah. got to be there or else we're, yeah, your farm isn't going to be around for much longer. Um, and so on our farm, in terms of products, besides homeostasis, we produce honey. We produce lamb. We produce eggs for our local community. We produce poultry, turkeys. Uh, we have seeds that we produce, uh, like grassland seeds and things like this. And we're always, Christina and I are always thinking of new crazy ways of, of value-added products that we can bring off of this piece of ground. 
And then the last thing that we produce is the next generation of scientists. And so those scientists are learning firsthand experience, how to get their hands dirty and how farms work. Oh, that's fantastic. So when we talk about regenerative agriculture, uh, I think of this as really something that has tremendous potential to alleviate climate change, to address global food supply, to address soil quality. And, and, you know, we've talked for generations about the erosion of topsoil. And why don't you give us a a primer? Because, you know, my audience isn't mostly scientists. It's entrepreneurs. It's people who are worried about climate change and poverty. Help us understand uh, the potential uh, impact of regenerative agriculture. Well, you're right on. That's exactly what regenerative ag kind of promises as to reverse a lot of these planetary scale problems that we're facing right now as a society. Um, What is regenerative ag? Four main outputs of a regenerative system. Uh, Soil health, biodiversity, life, while growing nutritious food profitably. Those are the four key outcomes. And, and a lot of other things are trickled down from there, right? Soil carbon sequestration, reversing desertification and, and, um, and, and, and balancing water relationships, uh, conserving threatened and endangered species and promoting those species, you know, reversing the degradation of our rural communities as you build resilient farming systems. Uh, reversing human health problems. You know what the best answer to COVID is? Your diet. Um, and, and that's where it's got to start. Um, so lots of promises for yeah, regenerative it, ag. It is fascinating. You know, I, I, I live in Florida where water isn't as big a problem now, but uh, I was raised and lived for 50 years in, in Utah where, you know, it's a desert. And so I I spent a lot of focus on thinking about water. Tell us a little bit about how regenerative agriculture impacts water use, water supplies, et cetera, et cetera, because it's it's got some almost magical results there, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. Uh, We're working in the Central Valley. In fact, I leave in two weeks for almonds, um, where we're showing what the potential of regenerative agriculture is in terms of reversing the desertification making of a desert in what used to be a wetland. Um, The Central Valley of California used to be a wetland. Um, Essentially, you know, the productivity of a habitat, it doesn't come in a jug, right? It isn't driven by what's in a jug. The energy that comes into that system comes from the sun. And the only way you catch that is with plants, photosynthesis. And so step one in trying to reverse desertification and reset water balances is to get plants out there. Because when you've got plants, you have channels for water to get down into the soil and replenish groundwater sources. You've got uh, the basis for supporting biological life in all of its myriad forms that then, you know, a punch additional holes into the soil and allow and increase soil organic matter so that that soil can hold on to water. That's where you start to see some real benefits. 
I can tell you, after working down near Wasco or Bakersfield, California, I walked onto this one regenerative uh, almond orchard, and he had used some of his water to put in what's called a cover crop. All it is is just a bunch of flowering plant species that lives out there and doesn't, you don't harvest it for anything. You could graze it maybe. But all walking into this orchard, normally you get out of the car and you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm about to, I'm, I'm about to bake. And you could feel with every one of your senses that this was something different. And that using this approach to agriculture not only increases the bottom line of the farmer, but can reverse climate change. Yeah, and, and that reversing of climate change has something to do, it's re closely related to the water, isn't it? It's, it's as, that, as the soil's capacity to store water is increased by all the things that you do in regenerative ag, you are simultaneously storing more carbon in there, right? They're all signs of a coin, right? And so you hear a lot about carbon markets right now, and then there's water crises over here. And then you've got, oh, biodiversity loss because we're losing species on this planet as fast as we're losing topsoil, right? Um, all of those, you know, end up coming into a single like Venn diagram where they're, where, where they're all overlapping and they're all sides of the same issues. Um, you don't get carbon, you don't get water without life, and, and vice versa. So it's this cycle that we have to reset. Yeah. Now, the, the New York Times recently did a piece uh, uh, that was pretty powerful, uh, critiquing traditional agriculture in the United States and globally, uh, mm -hmm. this corporate ag approach, and, and basically blame the agricultural sector for much of the devastation to the planet. Uh, is regenerative agriculture the answer to that problem? 100%. Um, you know, so we can, we can think about that New York Times story in one of two ways. You can think of agriculture as the problem, or you can think of it as the solution. And I prefer to think of our food system as the solution. And the way of doing that means that we do have to change the way that we produce food. And this in the previous industrial, current industrialized model for food production, I mean, it's crashing. I mean, it's not, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. It's the walls are coming down. And so, the, and so we're experiencing this sort of evolutionary shift in our food system in ways that you know, evolution is a painful thing to watch. You know, it's not pretty, um, but we're going to be there with the answer for the farmers that are willing and, and, and to change. Yeah, yeah. One of the interesting things to me about agriculture, and, and I eat a vegan diet, and in part of the motivation for that is climate change and animal rights and things. But so I was really struck as I began to learn about uh, regenerative agriculture, that animal husbandry is an essential part yeah. of regenerative agriculture. Would you take a minute and explain why that's such an important part of regenerative ag? Sure. Uh, we're not going to be able, we're not going to be able to fight climate change without animals. Uh, bottom line, uh, it, uh, we need these animals because 
of the many things that they do. Number one is they strengthen the resilience of a farming operation. Um, and so it allows an additional revenue stream to come off of that piece of ground. Number two, these animals are a really critical tool for managing plant communities. And the only way to maximize carbon sequestration is by having animals on, on the land. The animals work with the plants to inspire plant diversification as well as plant biomass production. You gotta have animals in there in order to maximize the productivity of a system. Yeah. Now, I do note that as you were listing off the critters that you grow on, uh, that you raise on your farm, you didn't list cows. I think of often as cows as being kind of that essential part, and there's a lot of demand for beef in the country, but it, apparently you can get the benefit of animals without cows. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's about diversification. And just like what we're talking about, about diversifying, you know, culturally and, and in terms of plant diversity and, and diversity of revenue streams, you know, you need a diversity of animals out there too in order to really maximize the productivity of a system. And animals work together really well. And so a monoculture of cows is just as bad as a monoculture of anything else, of a cornfield or something like that, right? So yeah. we really need to be thinking about the diversification of different sort of types of animals and different functions that they fulfill. Yeah. The, you've been doing this work for a while. One of the interesting aspects that, that uh, I tripped over in your story is that uh, you crowdfunded the purchase of this farm. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of crowdfunding. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your experience. And I want to drill down on one little nuance in particular, and that is if you used a an investment crowdfunding offering like on WeFunder, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, if you didn't do it, but if it was just a donation-based campaign. But tell us a little bit about that whole crowdfunding experience. Yeah, it was it was kind of crazy, right? It was extremely risky. Um, yeah, it was terrifying, quite frankly. I was quitting a cushy federal job and trying to do something that nobody's ever done before, um, where we were trying to start a scientific institution f f using crowdfunding and grassroots sort of uh, approaches to both science as well as fundraising. That was crazy. And we didn't give anything out, right? Normally, successful crowdfunding campaigns end up, you get a widget of some sort or another, right? Yeah, we, at least a t-shirt. <laughs> sure. And we did t-shirts. We did t-shirts. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, with, with our crowdfunding, they weren't buying something what they what they were funding was a vision they were funding an idea and that idea was that we can use our food system to save this planet or our place on this planet and people from all over the world ended up through small donations bankrolling a, a research facility in regenerative ag yeah so you've you built on that now to create this platform that you're launching now to replicate this model in essence, right? To convert uh, farms from traditional to regenerative ag, mm -hmm. to install in them, you know, scientists, to convert scientists to farmers and farmers to scientists. Tell us a little bit about the model and how it's going. 
Well, uh, if you had told me that I'd still be here after six seasons, I would have really raised my eyebrows because it wasn't clear, right? Uh, there was a lot of days where we didn't have money to pay payroll next month. And somehow or another, a check would arrive just in time to save us. And then we started to be able to fund salaries for a month. And then we got, were able to fund them for three months and then six months. And suddenly we're in this place where I'll be darned, but I think we're going to make it. Um, the, there's a real sense of urgency right now, right? Um, we, we've got to make some major changes to the way we're producing food and quickly if we're going to reverse the planetary scale problems that we're experiencing. The status quo, incremental steps forward, that isn't getting us where we have to be fast enough. We need bold action. And so for the last six seasons, we've been preparing ourselves for the Thousand Farms Initiative. This is the largest agricultural experiment that's ever been attempted. And it's the kind of bold experiment or, or science that is desperately needed if we're going to if we're going to influence things like policy making and and decision making even on the farm level or consumers. Um, essentially, does regenerative ag work no matter where you grow or, and what what you grow or where you grow it? How do you get there? How are farmers figuring out this transition? And number three, does regenerative ag deliver on the promises that it's supposed to? So we've had to adapt and evolve ourselves in order to making this, uh, removing the, the daunting hurdles to conducting this massive, massive experiment. Yeah. Well, it is exciting to think about what can happen here. And uh, so I celebrate you because you are a piece of a, a puzzle that is critical to our uh, our really our success in this century. Uh, we mm -hmm. it depends on on this conversion to more regenerative agriculture, and I hope we can convert all agriculture, including. And we didn't talk about this yet, but it seems to me these principles are equally applicable to agriculture for the sake of textiles and other things as well. Oh, right? It's the same yeah. principle, right? So, mm -hmm. so it's absolutely. not just our food supply, even though that's a key element. Sure enough. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you say we, I, I, I hope we can, you know, we really, we don't have a choice, right? I mean, yeah, there's really, there isn't a, there isn't a, if this works, it's, it's got to work or, yeah. or we're in real trouble. Yeah. That's a great, great point. Now, Jonathan, you have, you've done some remarkable things. And and you're you're scaling up. It's exciting to see this level of success. Uh, what do you attribute your success to? Or phrased another way, Jonathan, what is your superpower? Um, you know, I I don't know the answer to that question. I guess uh, I don't know that I have any superpowers aside from just getting in there and doing it, you know? I guess I've never been one that was, yeah, that, that shied away from a challenge. And, yeah. and so um, I think, you know, we're, we're put here for a reason. And I believe that 
you're in your position and I'm in my position in order to do something, okay? And that, to me, that's not a superpower. That's just doing your job. And, <laughs> and so I don't know. Is that a, I yeah. don't know. what I think that's a superpower. Right? I think, you know, the, the, the thing to think about the, in this context, and of course, everybody has different strengths, and uh, but, but being able to uh, just dig in and get the work done and hang with it is really a powerful tool. And, and you've been able to accomplish a lot and there's so much more we need you to accomplish. So yeah. we want to see you continue to build on that strength and, and leverage it. But as you reflect, I, I want you to think back now uh, on and, and look in your mind for a specific example or two where you can see how that, that approach of yours to just get in there and do the work uh, has led to successful outcomes. Can you think of a case or two where it did? Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, our first experiment in regenerative ag um, was, I mean, I was trained as a conventional scientist. We had gotten a grant to study cover crops in corn. And, and I had met all of these wonderful farmers that were using this tool, right? And, um, and so I said, okay, I'm, would you like to participate in a study? And they said, yeah, sure. And so I, I, I said, okay, well, this is what you got to do. You got to plant this corn, you got to plant this cover crop, you got to burn it off with an herbicide and you have to have it replicated in four ways, everything I was trained. Right. And the, the experiment crashed and burned because what, what I did is that I asserted myself and when I did that, I lost what was special about those farms. And the next year, I said, you know what? You guys are the experts. Um, show me the corn phase of your rotation. And they did. And then they showed me the conventional neighbor. And that study ended up revolutionizing all of the research that we've done ever since. And so I think sometimes the superpower is having confidence but also knowing when to be humble and listen. Yeah. And that's yeah. a tough thing, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And I, I can see how just applying that, 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 that work ethic uh, forced you. I didn't give up. You, did you had to accomplish the task you wanted to. So you had to sort of step back and say, okay, guys, you tell me. Uh, great, great example. Now, sometimes you don't always know. Sometimes it's easy to lose track of the goal of something, isn't it? And I yeah. guess I've always been really mission focused and goal oriented. That yeah, helps. and that's great. That's great. Now, if you were trying to teach someone to to get stuff done, you know, if you think of your superpower is ultimately is about getting stuff done, what would you teach them to do? What are the key principles that you? Um, you know what? Uh, always have your eyes on the mission. Remind yourself of that constantly because it's so easy to get distracted. Number two, uh, cultivate multiple options in order to skin that cat, right? Uh, and how sure. to get to that end game. And, and a, be ready to abandon the options that aren't successful. Uh, in order to and focus on those things that are getting you where you have to be as quickly and efficiently as possible. Um, and then don't forget your humanity 
and don't forget your reason of why you're there. Um, I think that that's really important and something we lose sight of. You know, you can focus on a goal and a mission and you forget, yeah, that you have a lot of other aspects of yourself that make you human. Yeah, well, that's a great reminder. Great reminder. Well, Jonathan, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with me today. We're excited to share your work. But uh, in that effort, would you take just a minute before we wrap up and tell people how they can learn more about ecdysis, you, how they can connect with you on social media, whatever. Take, take a minute and just pitch us on the, the best way to connect and help. Sure. Um, Ecdysis is spelled E-C-D-Y-S-I-S. We have a website. Look for us on Facebook. There isn't anybody else with that crazy name. Uh, Other social media, uh, Instagram, things like that. And another great way that we get all of our science out through it is Blue Dasher Farm. And that's just how it's spelled. And on all of our social media handles are just that. So we're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and all that other stuff. So oh, look fantastic. us up. Spread the word. Fantastic. Now, what on earth does, where did the name ecdysis come from? Ecdysis is a geeky entomology term, insect term. And what it means is shedding the old skin. Metamorphosis. Okay. Well, we all need a little ectisis at times, don't we? Yes, and, we do. and right now, agriculture needs a big one. Yep, I think so, too. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, uh, Jonathan, thank you very much for being with us. We wish you every success in your efforts to reverse climate change for us. Uh, we, we really need you to, to hit a home run on this. <laughs> thank you so much. Yep, glad to be uh, here. All righty. Let's do some good. Let's. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit devonthorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.